This morning, we are going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. Well, we're in the third part of a three-part mini-series in, uh, within the book of Romans, which is in our, our little mini-series is really on worship. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of this letter to the church in Rome, and he, he really lays out, first of all, the source of the problem of all humanity in the world. Uh, wouldn't that be nice to know? Like, I don't know if you, I was up early this morning and was kind of looking around some of the headlines and I was like, just scratching my head, just kind of grieved like, man, it's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? And if we could understand what is the, not the problem with the world, because there's lots of problems, right? That would be an oversimplification. But if we could understand what is the source of all the problems in the world, that would start to clear up like, well, what is the answer? Which is what Paul then comes in and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the answer for the core problem of all the problems of humanity. He says that Christ has come to restore both humanity and the world itself. God has come in Christ to restore or to redeem you. He came to redeem humanity and therefore through us, the whole world. Paul said that actually creation itself is groaning for redemption. Creation itself is groaning for restoration. Sometimes if you read the headlines or you listen to headlines on, on the radio or on a podcast or, or you're seeing it online or on TV, don't sometimes you can almost feel creation itself groaning for redemption, groaning for restoration, groaning under the weight of the darkness that we find ourselves in. Jesus is the only way for us to be redeemed, Paul tells us. And then he tells us about that salvation that Christ came to offer us. Not only did he come to offer us of salvation, but the salvation that, that he offers us to, through Christ is a gift of God, a free gift of God by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Redemption. Isn't that amazing? That is the core message of Christianity. The core message that makes Christianity so much better news than any other news that's out there. And there's all kinds of religions, there's all kinds of gurus, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of people who want to tell you this is the way to find redemption, this is the way to find restoration, this is the way to find salvation or a better life for you. And they all contain some amount of work that you have to work, you have to do something in order to move up in life. And here's the message of Christianity. It says, hey, you are far worse off than you ever thought that you were. But in Christ, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. And that love comes to you freely as a gift by grace alone, through faith alone. You cannot earn it. All you have to do is accept a free gift. That's what makes Christianity such amazingly great news. Salvation is available to all, to all, to all who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone. Randy, you don't know what I've done it, to all. Randy, you don't know where I've been to all. Randy, you don't know what I was thinking last night 
to all. Randy, you really don't know what I have seen to all. Randy, you don't know how I've been broken and crushed by life. You don't know what people have done to me to all. No one is beyond the reach of Christ's salvation. No one. There is nothing that you have done or anything that anyone has done to you that has put you out of the reach of the free gift of salvation through Christ to everyone. And not just to everyone, but to you to you. Paul's been laying that out through this whole book and that to those who have been saved, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not only can nothing keep you from salvation, nothing that has been done to you or that you have done, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ once you are his. Nothing. Nothing that you do, nothing that anyone else can do to you can pull you away from Christ. Now, if that's true, if all that is true, which it is, by the way, but if all that is true, this great truth that Paul's been laying down from chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, if you view that as sort of this great house that he's built, then the the passages that we are in right now, the end of chapter 11 through the beginning of chapter 12, the the first two verses of chapter 12, that is the sort of the, the door hinge that swings us. So all that is true, but there are many people who have heard that truth and maybe you're here today and you've heard that truth, but it doesn't move you. You, you believe, maybe you kind of believe this Christianity thing might be real. If I was to align with some sort of religious belief, I would align with Christianity, but it doesn't move me. Some people are, are kind of in that camp. Some people are really bent that way, but it doesn't really move me. This is what the passage we're in describes how the, is the hinge that describes how we get moved into alignment with the truth of all that we've been saying. It's the door hinge that, that swings us. See, uh, most of what follows in Romans has to do with conduct, how we live out this new life. But it's worship that brings our life into alignment with all that Christ has done. Worship is our response to all that God has done for us in Christ. It is our response. Worship is the natural and reasonable response when we see God's surpassing value or God's surpassing greatness towards us in Christ. And it's worship that causes us to swing our life from living for ourselves to living for God. Paul said last week, this, well, actually, let's, let's do the whole passage, the end of chapter 11 through the beginning of chapter 12. Paul has just laid out all that we've just been talking about, salvation through Christ. And he stops and he sings and he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? He's saying God hasn't asked anybody for any advice because he's never needed it. And nobody's ever been able to give anything to God because everything that we see came from him. For from him, And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 
Amen. And then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The passage we covered last week. He said, I appeal or I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. All the, the salvation we just described that comes in Christ. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying our response to the greatness and goodness of God is to give ourselves or present ourselves, our bodies, that's our life, our everything as a living sacrifice. That is our spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what does Paul say is the reasonable response when we see God's majesty and his love and mercy towards us in Christ? He says our reasonable response, the only thing that makes sense to do, the only rational response that we can make to God who is so great and has given us a, the free gift of salvation through Christ, by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, the only reasonable response is to give your body, that is your life, your mind, every moment to God as a sacrifice. That's what it means to present yourself, to make yourself available to God. And the question is, how does that happen, right? How do I do that? What does that look like? Paul says, here's what he's saying in this passage in verse two. He says, you worship God with your life as you are transformed into his image. You worship God with your life as you are transformed into his image. We worship God here as we gather here on Sunday mornings. We worship God alone. We worship God together in those places, right? But what Paul is saying here is that the measure of our worship isn't found on a Sunday service. The measure of our worship isn't found in moments of great emotion. The measure of our worship isn't found in grand gestures to God, right? Or you've like been convicted in a service if you're a Christian, you've been sitting in a service, you really feel convicted and you're like, God, I promise you from here on in and then you go dot, 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 you make something that you can never possibly keep up. I will never do that again. I will never listen to that again. I will never watch that again. I will not do this again. You make some grand gesture to God and you don't end up following through. The measure of our worship isn't in great emotion or grand gestures, though our worship for God is measured by how we are being changed into the image of Jesus moment by moment and day by day. That's the measure of our worship. It's not how high you raise your hand or how loud you sing a song or how impressive a thing that you do for God. It is by the, you being transformed moment by moment, bit by bit, day by day into looking more and more like Jesus. Paul says we must be transformed. And now, now why does he say that we have to be transformed into the image of Christ? Because he says that because he's saying that we're going to be molded in one way or the other. All right, did you get that beginning of, of, chapter, of verse 2? 
He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What he's saying is that at any given point, every single one of us in this room are being molded into some kind of image. All of us in this room at, at any given point are either being conformed to the pattern of this world or you're being transformed by the renewal of your minds. There is a pattern of this world. There is a way of this world that is in hostility to God. I want you to hear that this morning. I think this is really important for us as American Christians. There's a pattern of thinking. There's a pattern of living in this world that is not just not Christian. It's not just neutral. It is in hostility or direct opposition to the mind and the nature and the character of God. There is the pattern of this world and there is the nature and character of God and you are being molded or conformed into one of those images at any given point, but you are never neutral and you're never staying neutral. You're always moving in one direction or the other. That's because we as human beings are not made to be planets. We are made to be satellites. We are not made to be the masters of our own domain. We are, we are made to revolve or orbit around something else. We do not stand alone. No man or woman is an island. By nature, we orbit ourselves around something that has great gravity, something that has great weight. And we are always being pulled into a greater orbit, a tighter orbit around the pattern of this world, or you are being pulled into a tighter orbit around the mind of God. We are never static. Why? Because you as a human being, you become what you worship. Or rather, you become what you behold. At any given point, you become what you behold. You become more like what you worship. We talked about that last week. But look at this, Psalm 115, one through eight. It's a great Psalm. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Then he compares our God with their gods. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, become like them. So do all who trust in them. It is our fallen nature to become like worthless idols. It is our, in our fallen nature to become like the worthless idols that you and I worship. Now, you, the, the idols that you and I worship, most of us aren't physical idols that are made with human hands in terms of like a totem that we have placed in our house that we would worship. We worship idols of career. We should worship idols of status. We should worship idols of body image. We should worship idols of wealth. We worship idols of 
athletic prowess, whatever your thing may be. We worship idols of sex. We worship idols of adoration by the opposite sex. We worship idols, all kinds of things. Those are all things that really are made by human hands and those who worship them become like them. Whatever you wrap yourself around, you say, that's what I wanna be. That's what's valuable in life, to have a lot of likes online or to have a great career or to have a great education or to have a great tan or to be really good at this sport or have a lot of friends or whatever the things are that you find to be of great value that you say in your mind, it's worth it. Whatever sacrifices I have to make in my life to be like that, to get there is worth it. You will press and you will push and it will pull you in and you become more and more like that. But the sad thing is in worshiping those worthless idols, we become like them. We become worthless ourselves. You have great worth as a human being, but we become more and more like those worthless things that we worship. But, but here's the good news that this passage tells us. Not only, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's good news because it says that we don't have to stay like we have been or are, but we can be changed. That's incredibly great news. You can be changed. You can be transformed. How? Through Christ. Through Christ, you either can be changed. This morning, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ and you are worshiping worthless idols with your life, here's great news for you. Again, it doesn't matter what you have done or where you have been or where you are today. It doesn't matter if you've been an enemy of God and you've questioned Christianity and you've cursed God aloud to your friends and family. Today, today, today through Christ, you can be transformed from worshiping worthless idols to worshiping the one and only true God. And here, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, the good news for you is you not only through Christ can you be changed, but you have been changed. You have been transformed. You have been broken free from the power of sin that pulls you into orbit around those worthless idols. And you've been, that has sin, that chain has been broken and you have been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. This word transformed, when it says be transformed into the image, it, it is the, it's only used a few other places in the New Testament. You, you know what one of the places it's used? It's used in both Mark and Matthew. Mark chapter nine, verse two. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured or transformed before them. Jesus standing with his disciples as a human being, as a man, was suddenly transfigured or transformed. Uh, the, you see the gospel writers try to grasp to get the language to say what happened. It says that he, his appearance changed, it, that his, suddenly his clothes were so bright that no bleach could bleach them. Like the, they had trouble explaining what it was that transformed or, trans, or changed or transfigured him. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that happens to us as Christians. What I am saying is, 
is that Jesus changed so much in appearance before the disciples that the only word they could grasp for it was he was transfigured or transformed before them. And the transfiguration or the transformation that happens for believers in Christ as we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds is no less miraculous than Jesus' transfiguration before his disciples in that garden. What I'm describing is not a higher Christian life for some people who achieve it. What I'm describing is the Christian life. Paul can't imagine in this passage that in light of the mercies of God for us, that anything other could happen than when we would devote or give ourselves day by day, moment by moment, as a sacrifice of worship to Christ, and that the way that we would do that would be to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind so that we begin to think like Jesus did. We begin to talk like Jesus did. We begin to act like Jesus did. And that's why the early Christians were called Christians. Jesus didn't say, hey, you guys are gonna be called Christians. The people around the believers in Christ called them Christians. Why? Because it meant little Christ. It meant that there were now dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth who then begin to sing and talk and live and act like Jesus. Think about the effect that had on the Roman Empire. Think about the effect that would have on our community if we began to look like that. What effect would that have on Myrtle Beach if dozens and hundreds and thousands of people began to look like that? What effect would that have on your workplace? What effect would that have on your school? What effect would that have in this world, in our generation, in the darkness that surrounds us that we were just talking about? What changes? What we're talking about is a change, first of all, in character, in the core of who we are. Your character is what you are and what you look like when no one is around to pretend or mask anymore. Character is the opposite of your Instagram feed. It's not your best look forward, not your best foot forward. It is you're actually who you are. This is promising that we can have a change in our character and what results from that is a change in our conduct. So the Christian's smell different than other people. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I don't mean like physically smell different. I mean, there's a, an aroma, a flavor around us that is what it would be, have been like to be around Jesus. Why does it matter if we actually are transformed instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world? Why would this matter? Well, it matters because first of all, while Paul is saying that this is the normal Christian life, this is the only reasonable or rational response to all that God has done for us in Christ, he is also saying that it's possible for a Christian to be conformed to this world and not be transformed. It's possible for you here today to be a believer. You might've been a believer a long time. You might've been a believer 
10, 20, 30 years. You might say, hey, I've been a believer practically all of my life and yet it's possible for you to be here and have that on your resume and yet you do not look more and more like Christ. In fact, your life looks more and more like you're being conformed into the pattern of this world. You're actually being pulled tighter and tighter around the orbit of this world and that those broken, worthless idols. That's an incredibly sad thing that you can confess Christ and yet look like the world. Do you, do you get that? Do you let that weight sit upon you, believer? It's possible for you to confess Christ and everybody around you know, hey, that guy, that lady, that dude's a Christian. You know why I know? Because he says he goes to church but nothing else in your life carries the aroma of Christ to the people who are around you. Very little of your life conforms to the pattern of Jesus instead of conforming to the pattern of this world. Why does it matter? Because it, whenever you are con being conformed to the pattern of this world, instead of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, it creates worldly, immature Christians who look like everybody else, and it brings disrepute upon the name of Christ. It brings disrepute upon the church. What I am not saying is that Christians are perfect. What I am saying is Christians are growing daily, momentarily, bit by bit into the image of Christ. They are being transformed by the renewal of their mind. When Christians confess Christ but yet look like the world, not only does it bring disrepute upon Christ, but it keeps the salt and light that we are supposed to be from the community that we are in. Christians are called to be salt and light in our community. That means if you are living in a household where there are non-believers, you should there be salt and light. Your very presence should be something that adds flavor or adds light, brings a difference to the place that you're in, into your workplace. Wherever you have recreation, your, friends, your friend group, your larger family, your workplace, we should be salt and light in those places. And when Christians are together in a place, it should, be, it should have an effect upon the people around us. And when we look like the world, that salt and that light is not adding flavor, it is not shining for the people around us to see. And here else is why it matters. Deuteronomy 4, 23 through 24. Take care lest you forget the covenant of your Lord, of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Forbidden you. Don't be conformed. Don't worship worthless idols. This is why. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. If you're here this morning, whether you're a believer or not, G our God, Jesus Christ, is a jealous God. You know what that means? It does not mean he is feeling inferior to whatever worthless idol that you are worshiping, but he does take it personally because he is the only one true God. And he is determined that he will not share his glory with another. 
And if you are here today and you are building your life around other worthless idols, today is the day to bow your knee before him and confess that you have done that and accept the free gift of salvation in Christ. And today, if you are a Christian and you are being conformed in the pattern of this world, today is the day for you to say, no more. No more for my God is a jealous God and he will not share my worship with another. And I can tell you, he will personally go after you. He will personally go after your heart. He'll personally go after the things that you put your trust and your worship in other than him. He will go after those things and he will go after your heart like the hound of heaven until he brings you to himself. He will never, ever give up. You see, building, being worldly Christians may not look like we often think that it looks. It may look like a Christian who is coming in here on Sunday morning after running around all Saturday night and all weekend doing like the things that we would normally think like are the opposite of, of Christian, right? Party and all those things. And there are many of us here, we need to, man, we need to return from that. But here's what's kind of insidious and sneaky is that sometimes and oftentimes it comes in in different ways. We are worldly Christians when we believe the right beliefs, but we don't have the corresponding actions. Being worldly Christians, whenever we accept the right beliefs instead of or in lieu of proper actions. There are many Christians in this room who believe the right things but your actual life, your actual actions, your actual beliefs do not line up with what you profess and you accept that. You accept it in lieu of. And I'm gonna tell you, Christ does not. Being a worldly Christian can, having, can be having right knowledge, but having a lack of humility and love. You believe because you believe rightly, you use that as a tool to look down on other Christians or people who aren't believers, and you look down on other denominations and other churches and other groups. You look down on those who do not profess Christ. You look down on them because you have the right knowledge, but your life does not have the flavor of the humility and the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus. Being a worldly Christian can look like caring for the right things, but doing so in the wrong ways. And what does Paul say that leads to? He says it leads to us not discerning God's will correctly. It means we begin to call things God's will that aren't, or we, or we end up actually in our daily life not actually caring about what God's will is, but my, while the while maintaining the right knowledge. Like, I don't really care what God's will for me to do today is in this relationship or at work or uh, with my time or my finances, but I believe correctly and therefore I respond incorrectly. I'd encourage you to do something this morning. I would encourage you to take a core sample of your life. You know what a core sample is? It's when they drill into something and they pull out this long cylindrical object that shows you what the contents of that thing are. You can see 
the, what the actual inside of the thing is, whether it's in the earth or a piece of stone or something else. It's a core sample. They're able to see what is the actual contents? What does the inside look like? What are the layers that are there? I encourage you, take a core sample of your life to see not just what my beliefs are, but what it, how am I worshiping God or am I worshiping God with my vocation? Am I worshiping God with my education? Am I worshiping God with my political or my civic views? Am I worshiping God with my, my relationships with my family? Am I worshiping God with my recreational life? Am I worshiping God with my sexual life? Am I worshiping God with my financial life? Take a sample and see what does your life actually look like? Are you actually being conformed or are you being transformed into, by the renewal of your minds? Now, how does that happen? You say, I feel the need to be transformed, but what I'm asking you is, how do I do that? Well, Paul says that we are transformed by the renewal or the renewing of our minds. What that means is, first of all, you cannot be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world and transformed by the renewal of your mind if you haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That means if the Holy Spirit hasn't breathed his life into you so that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have experienced the life of God come alive inside you. That's what the new birth means. That's what it means to become a Christian. It's not just believing something or checking a box or walking an aisle. Becoming a Christian is being born again at the very core of your being. You can't be transformed by the renewal of your mind until you actually have the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. That's step one. The, other way, the, the next way that it happens, the process of renewal of our minds is it cannot happen apart from the word of God. We are, Paul says elsewhere that we are, our minds are renewed by the washing of the water of the word. That our minds are renewed by we, as we study and we read and we pray about and seek and listen to what God says about things what God says about me, what God says about him, what God says about this world, what God says about sex and money and finances and education. I begin to renew and change my thinking. I repent and lay down what I used to think about how I respond to those things or how I think about those things. And I accept what God says on those things. That's actually the way that it happens. We, the word comes to us and as believers, we repent of worthless idols and we place our trust, our faith in what God says. The way we grow as believers is the same way we become a believer, through repentance and faith. We repent and turn away from conformity to this world and we accept and throw ourselves upon being transformed by what God says about things. And the only way that happens through the word is by the Holy Spirit who enlivens the word. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives it its power and its effectiveness. The Holy Spirit does not breathe upon the word. It's not enliven God's word. It's not the power of the word on the paper. It's the power of the word as it's brought to our minds and hearts and enlivened by the spirit of God. We're transformed instead of conformed by regeneration, by the word, by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul tells us here that the, 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 by the tense of the verbs, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. It's a continual work. We are transformed continually. It's not a once for all thing. 
You don't bow your knee this morning or come forward at some service and ask somebody to pray for you and you are suddenly transformed and you leave there totally changed. It happens daily. It happens sacrificially and it happens worshipfully. It happens day by day, by you each moment, by each day that you wake up and each things that you look at that surround you each day and saying, today, God, I want to be no longer conformed, but I want to be transformed. And God, I'm going to sacrificially in worship to you in response of the mercies of God, give myself to you today and pray that your word would show me what I need to see. It's transformation, not just information. That's the goal of our worship, our corporate worship. That's the goal of our community groups and studies. Whenever you read the Bible on your own, it's not just to get information, but it's to be transformed or changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You can only be transformed as you see Christ and as you see and behold him in his word daily. Dave Cassidy and Brian Weiler are uh, training for uh, an Ironman triathlon this, this fall. An Ironman triathlon, just to, in case you're unaware, and I think this is crazy, guys, is a 2.4-mile swim, which should be enough, right? Just, I'm done. Followed by a 112-mile cycle. 112-mile cycle. Followed by a 26.22-mile marathon. Craziness. Now, I admire it, crazy guys. And as they're training, it's been interesting to hear about their training over the past few weeks and months because because they're training for a particular Ironman at a particular time, they have to train a particular way at every single day. They have to watch what they eat every single day. They have to get up at certain times every single day. They have to dedicate themselves to training a particular way every day. Why? Because they are not... They, they, if they do not do that every single day, the way they should do it, they're not gonna be able to do what they have to do on the day that is coming. Guys, we are training for something greater than that. Being transformed into the image of Christ so that we would see him and know him we could worship him with our full lives and the world around us can see him and know him as well. I'll close with this. There are opportunities for transformation. It's your daily Bible study and reading. That's personal. It's prayer. That's personal and corporate together. It's Sunday morning worship. It's coming to the men's meeting tonight. It's, we have some classes. Hopefully they're going to be starting up by the, by the end of the year. It's being a part of those classes. But it's whatever you do, it's you dedicating yourself to that. Not me chasing you or your community group leader chasing you or Dale chasing you or somebody pushing you. It is by you desiring from your core to be transformed by the renewing of your mind rather than being conformed to the pattern of this world. Whatever you do, do it today. 
and do it tomorrow and do it the next day and do it the next day. Why? Because of the great mercies of God. I appeal to you. I urge you. Be transformed, not conformed. That you may live a life that showcases the nature and the character of God. We're transformed as we behold Jesus. We behold him and we respond in worship. So this morning, as we head to communion, as the band comes up, I'm gonna ask you, how do you need to respond today? How do you need to respond today? Is today the day that you need to bow your knee and confess Christ as your Lord and become a believer? Do you need to have someone pray with you this morning? Do you need to come and maybe grab somebody beside you or maybe you need to come forward and you need to say, hey, I need to make some sort of move. I need to come forward. We never, I don't think we've ever done this before. And we need, I need to come forward. I need to ask somebody to pray with me. I need to bow my knee to him where I am or here. There's some way that I need to respond to Christ today and say, today is the day. I'm putting a marker down today saying I must be transformed. I have to break free of this apathy and lethargy. And by God's grace, today is the day. How do you need to respond? Do it. Don't let pride hold you back. You might need to confess a sin to a brother or sister this morning. Grab somebody and do it. Let's no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let's be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And pray. In light of your great The only reasonable, the only rational, the only responsible thing to do is respond by giving our lives to you daily, sacrificially, continually. To reject being conformed to the pattern of this world, to reject spiritual lethargy and throw ourselves upon you that we may be transformed. God, make us into a church, make us into a people that do exactly that. God, call each person in this room individually and collectively as you see fit. We bow to you, Lord, for your glory and for our joy. Amen.